Good to see you here today. Wow, one of the most exciting, one of my very favorite times of the year, Global Impact Month. I just love the phrase, global impact. Don't you love that? Aren't you thankful that, uh, you know, our church is a whole lot bigger than what you see on Sunday morning. It reaches far beyond these four walls. Literally, we have an impact globally, and I'm excited to be a part of a church uh, like that. Amen. Well, I'm excited also today to have some really good friends with us here today, Jim and Pam King. Uh, I've known these people for more years than I want to tell you, and uh, he's ministered uh, for me and other churches in the past. What a blessing that he is, and I actually haven't seen him in a long, long time and hadn't really had any contact in a long time, but uh, a couple of months ago, his name just came to me, and it just continued to come to me and continued to come to me, and uh, I'm thinking, all right, Lord, this is who you want us to have for our our Faith Promise Sunday. Uh, You know, he's got an incredible ministry missionary evangelist, uh, ministered in many, many countries, seen just so many multitudes of people come to Christ, met a lot of humanitarian needs, been an incredible blessing literally in so many countries. I'm not even going to mention those countries. I might mention one I shouldn't mention on live stream, but so excited to have uh, Jim and Pam with us uh, today. Would you make my good friend welcome this morning, Jim King. Come on, buddy. What an honor it is to be with you here today, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad you're part of a living church, a church that is alive? Amen. Aren't you glad you worship a living God? That's who we're honoring today. One of the countries that we've had the privilege of ministering in and living in uh, is Ukraine. We lived in the former Soviet Union in the early 90s, mid-90s. And I'll tell a little of the story here in just a moment. But as we were standing here worshiping this morning and I began to think about worshiping with the church and the body of Christ after what we have been through with COVID and the effect that has had, aren't you glad you can still get together with God's people and worship his holy name? In the former Soviet Union, there's a place called Red Square in Moscow, Russia. The Kremlin Palace is there, Red Square. And uh, those of you that are more my generation, you will remember the name Nikita Khrushchev. He ruled the former Soviet Union with an iron fist. And he made a declaration in the 1960s that by the year 2000, the last living Christian on earth would be presented on the stage of Kremlin Palace. He said, in the year 2000, you will see the last living Christian. Now, Khrushchev, not too long after that, disappeared. They don't know exactly or they don't tell what happened to him. But roughly 25 years after he said, the last living Christian will be presented here, another man stood in the same spot on the stage of Kremlin Palace in Red Square in Moscow, Russia, and proclaimed Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That man's name is Dr. David Yonggi Cho. He happened to pastor a little church of about one million people in Seoul, Korea. What I'm trying to tell you is Khrushchev didn't know what he was talking about and Cho did. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates or schemes of hell will not prevail against her and she shall live. Aren't you glad you're part of a living church? Come on, let's give him praise this morning. That's what global impact is all about helping to build the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, thank you for letting Pam and me come and be part of this month and this day. You have some of the finest people in this world as your pastors. You know that. I have the deepest respect for them, and I know that you honor them, and we honor them today. 
And we thank you for being here to worship today. My wife Pam's with me. Honey, if you would stand. She didn't always get to be with me, but she is today. Most of the time she is. But we have so looked forward to this. Pastor thrilled my heart when he called. Now, I just want to uh, tell you that we live in Austin, Texas. And uh, you know the type of sermons we preach from Austin, right? Um, you've seen Bevo. Uh, this is what they say. This is what they told me when, 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 I, when I moved there. They said, Pastor, you fit right in here uh, because uh, a Texas Longhorn sermon is a point way over here and a point way over here and a whole lot of bull in between. Let's turn to the scripture if we could do that, please. The book of Genesis, Faith Promise Sunday. It's no secret what today is about. It's about us praying and asking God how he'd have us participate in helping spread the gospel message around the world. The Apostle Paul said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread swiftly and that his name may be glorified. And that's what we hope to do in the next few moments. I'm going to ask you to, as I speak to you from God's word this morning, keep your heart open. You probably won't remember my name tomorrow, and you probably won't remember 10 words I say. That's just kind of how it goes. But here's what happens. The Holy Spirit has a way. I take one thought when you hear God's word proclaim and make it apply directly into your heart and life. Aren't you glad this book is a living book? It's not just something that you read from afar. And so as we read God's word and we speak about God's word, we're asking that he speak to us. So after we read this, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. I'm going to read today a, a part of a story that you're familiar with, many of you, because this is Faith Promise Sunday. It's a story of the life of the father of faith. Abraham. Most of you probably, as you're new and following Christ, and if not, this is in Genesis chapter 22, and this really did happen. Abraham, as an old man, fathered a son. They could not have children, and God gave them the miracle child. And you know that then one day, as the boy uh, became a teenager, God told Abraham, take him to a certain mount and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, most people would say, uh, say what? But the Bible shows us very plainly that when God spoke to Abraham to take his only son and sacrifice him on an altar, he did it. He took him to the place. I'm not going to read the whole story. He had servants go with him. They took wood for the fire, etc. And they uh, came to the place and he was going to sacrifice him. And I want to pick it up in Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to start reading at verse number 8. I'm reading from the New King James Translation. And it says, and Abraham said to his son who asked, where was the sacrifice? He said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a bird offering. Everybody say with me, God will provide. That's one of the greatest portions of scripture for us to understand that he is our source. He is our provider. God will provide a lamb for a sacrifice. So the two of them went together. Now, his son had just asked an obvious question. If we're going to go sacrifice, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. Verse 9, and then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from him. In other words, Abraham was really going to do it. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behold him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, 
the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided in the mount of the Lord. The Lord will provide, and the Hebrew words are Jehovah-Jireh. How many have heard that terminology before? He is Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. In its fullest context, it means the God who goes out in front of you and makes provision for you so that when you get to the point of your need, it has already been taken care of. While they were walking up one side of the mountain, the ram that God provided, was coming up the other side of the mountain. In other words, it was prophetically showing us what was going to happen when Christ came to be the sacrifice for our sins. God, Jehovah, went before us and made provision for a need long before we ever knew we had a need. In other words, long before you and I blessed this planet with your presence or my presence and we came here, God knew we would need a Savior, so he sent his son 2,000 years ago before us and made provision for our sins so that when we confessed our sins to him, he would forgive us today and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you glad your sins are gone? Amen? Let's give him thanks for it today, can we? Father, thank you today that our sins are gone by the power of the blood of Jesus. And I pray today to our provider that you as you put in our hearts what we're to do to give of our income to advance the gospel around the world that you'll just speak to each individual heart their own personal matter and that we will obey as we hear your voice to glorify your name in Jesus name amen one other verse that's attached to this I want to mention Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19 it says if you are willing and you are obedient you will eat the good of the land I like the message translation that says, if you willingly obey, you'll feast like kings. In other words, the blessings of God coming into our life are directly attached to our obedience. In 1991, I had a very life-changing experience. For whatever reason, I had chosen on a particular day to just fast uh, under the Lord and pray a little more than normal. And so it was a, a normal day when about my routine, but I was fasting and I knew nobody was home in the afternoon. I went home and I was laying in my living room floor and I was just praying, stretched out, not asleep. I literally was awake and praying. And as I lay there before the Lord, I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me something that shocked me. And I say that with caution when I say I heard the voice of the Lord. I'm saying this in the vein that I knew it was the voice of the Lord because I never would have dreamt of it in a million years. It can be dangerous to be seeking voices. The primary way God leads us is by the inward witness of the Holy Spirit. But yet he did say, my sheep hear my voice. And it was the voice of the Lord. These are the words I heard. I heard as if somebody was in the room so clearly. It wasn't. It wasn't audible, but that's how strong it was in my spirit. The words were, I have called you to go around the world. And when I heard those words, I was shocked. I looked around for a moment. I didn't actually know what it meant, but I began to think about going around the world and preaching. And at that point in my life, I had preached in one other foreign country. I had been an evangelist for many years, but I'd only preached in a foreign country one time. And to be quite honest, I had no greater passion about that than I did preaching in Tupelo, Mississippi, to be honest with you. But I knew I'd heard the Lord. About a month later, I got a phone call one day and this lady introduced herself and she said, I work for an organization. It's called One Hope. And, and she said, we uh, have an opportunity in Russia. Those of you that are old enough to remember some of you, the Soviet Union doesn't have a lot of relevance.
relevance to you, but you remember the Cold War and all that we lived through at those times, and the, the, the Iron Curtain had just fallen. It's 1991. We'd seen pictures on television of bread lines of people in Russia lining up for bread, etc. This organization was given the opportunity, the first in history, to go in there to the former Soviet Union and put Bibles in schools. And they said, we have a, an extreme opportunity to go into cities in Russia and go into schools and give students Bibles. For 70 years, they couldn't preach the gospel there. You've been recommended to us as a speaker. Would you go and speak at a crusade? We're going to have a night crusade as teams go into the school. I said, where do you want me to go? And they said, Irkutsk, Siberia. And I said, I'll get back to you on that, literally. I said, I'll get back to you on that. Wasn't on my bucket list. I said, I'll call you in a couple of days. I got a globe out, and I said, where in the world is this place? I had this little round globe at my place, at our house. And if you took a knife, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma when this happened. If you took a knife and you stuck it into Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you came out on the other side of the globe, you would almost exactly pierce Irkutsk, Siberia. And when I did that, all of a sudden, I remember the words I heard about a month before, I've called you to go around the world. Well, you can't get much more around the world than that. And so I didn't need somebody to prophesy to me or interpret. I knew it was either obey me and go or not. And so I called them and I said I would go and I went. When I came home, my wife said, what was it like? And this was my answer to her. If I could have gotten you and the kids there, I never would have come home. I saw such hopelessness on the face of people, 70 years under a regime that bulldozed churches to the ground and the church had been driven underground. I'd never seen such a thing raised in my little Bible belt comfort. If I could have gotten you there, I never would have come home. When I got home, they called again and said, would you go back? And I said, yes, I'll go back. On the second trip, and I must hurry, I had another experience like that where the Lord spoke to me very clearly. First, on Sunday morning, we took our team out. We're in, we're in Russia out in this town uh, that nobody had ever heard of or none of us had ever heard of. And we were invited to go to a little former underground church that met in the house. I was sitting on a slat bench in the front row of that church that morning. And as I sat there, I had what I call a panoramic vision. I never had an experience like it before or since. And the only way I could describe it was masses of Russian people were scrolling past me. And I was weeping uncontrollably. And I felt the spirit of the Lord said to me, the day will come you cannot bring the gospel as freely to these people as you can now and we have seen that happen because here's what happened after that by then it's 1992 or so maybe early 93 there was a window from about 92 to 96 where the gospel message was given complete freedom in Russia complete freedom in Russia you could go in a school and preach the gospel which I know seems crazy in school they eventually ended that and I can understand because it wasn't just Christians who were coming. Every cult and kook you can think of was coming in and proclaiming their message. But there was that window of opportunity. Four days later, I'm out with, or, or, or maybe three days before that, I was sitting in a, in a little school with a team and I'd introduced them. They were going to do an assembly and I was just sitting there with them. And the Lord spoke to me again and he said three words, Kiev, live here. And so to make this all come together, I knew I was supposed to move my family to Ukraine. 
My wife got on board with it. That's a story that I don't have time to tell. But you couldn't even get into Ukraine at that time without a national invitation, some organization inviting you. And so one day I said to One Hope, I said, they kept calling me to go and speak. I said, I'll go, but I'd love to go to Ukraine sometime. I didn't say Kiev. God said Kiev. I just said Ukraine. They said, okay. They called a few weeks later. We got an open door, called the city. It was as far from Kiev as you can get in Ukraine. And so I said, I'll go. I'll tell you what I was thinking. I'm going to be real candid and honest with you. I was thinking, well, maybe I just ate too much pizza the night before I heard all that. Because I was kind of thinking, you know, moving my wife and kids there doesn't sound so exciting because it was rough back then. I mean, you couldn't find a Snickers. You couldn't find a Dr. Pepper. I mean, it was like, you know what I'm saying? It was rough. And so I'm having all this struggle. And it wasn't Kiev. About three weeks before we left, they called me and they said, sorry, change. They've closed that city, but a new door has opened in Kiev, Ukraine. Would you be willing to go to Kiev, Ukraine and preach a crusade? I did not tell those people what God had spoken to me, and I said I will. Again, God had told me to move there, and here's why. I'd go and preach those crusades, and we'd see thousands of people respond. But Jesus did not say make converts. He said make disciples. And I would ask, who's discipling these people? There weren't churches. The churches had been driven underground. They were just trying to survive and not get sent to a prison camp. They didn't know how to evangelize. They didn't know how to disciple. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so this is what began to burn in my heart. How can we just go and preach and leave? And God put it in my heart to move there and plant churches. But I couldn't do it on my own. I had to be invited. So they invite me to go to Kiev. And they put us in this hotel called, in Russian, it's called, you translate it into English, the Camping Hotel. It was very appropriately named, by the way. It wasn't what your pastor put us in last night. We're in this hotel. We're going to send our teams out during the day, have the crusade at night. And lo and behold, the National Bishop of the Pentecostal Union of Faith Churches called a meeting the same week in Kiev, Ukraine for the whole nation. It would be for all of their presbyters over 26 states and said, come to Kiev on these dates because we have a new door that has opened to us. We can't sit here underground anymore. We can plant churches. We can evangelize. We must meet as leaders and strategize how to do it. And so this bishop calls a meeting in the city of Kiev, Ukraine, a city of well over 3 million people with many hotels. He picks one hotel and you know which one he picked the camping hotel why I don't know other than God wanted to make a connection and so we don't know these people but they're here in, here in the hotel we got our little group going and doing our thing come to find out the meeting room we prayed in in the morning before we went out was the same room they used at night for their meeting rooms and were praying in about how now to evangelize and plant churches in their nation we met in the hall of that hotel and before the week was over they invited me into their meetings and when they heard the story they said would you move here and help us plant churches because we need help from afar churches in America got on board and started putting up the money and we began to plant churches and to date to God's glory we've been able to see 207 Russian speaking churches planted two of them are in Israel I couldn't make that happen but God could here's my point my message is entitled if God puts it in your heart he will put it in your hand. Would you say that out loud with me? If God puts it in your heart, he will put it 
in your hand. Now, he's not going to probably ask you to go do that, but he may ask you to make a financial commitment this year to help missionaries go do the stuff I'm talking about. And all I came to tell you was no pressure. It's between you and God. But if God puts it in your heart, I can promise you he will put it in your hand. We moved to Ukraine. We planted churches. We've opened over 300 Bible schools at different times through DVD format. To make this very quick and brief, there's three-pronged approach we have in ministry. Plant churches, develop churches, and humanitarian relief. I love your sign up here to help, help the orphan. I never thought I'd get into that, but we know it's biblical. When we were living in Ukraine... We would bring teams in, and we were planting churches. We'd bring an American team in, do a crusade. We'd have a Ukrainian pastor plant a church. Now, all of them are not in Ukraine. I don't know if you know it or not, there are 61 nations in the world in which Russian is a relevant language. Did you know that 20% of the population of Israel speaks Russian? I'll get to that in a moment. And so we were planting churches mostly in Ukraine, but some ended up being in other nations. But we were bringing them into Ukraine planting churches, and we had our routine down pretty good by 1995. Our family was living there. The teams would come in. We'd meet them. In the fall of 95, something happened that came on the heels of early summer 95. Before we came home for the summer, we were coming home for the summer, our family. We have two children, and we were going to spend the summer back in the States. And we were, because school was out there, and we did our assemblies in conjunction with school calendar there, the Lord began to impress on me, start shipping large quantities of humanitarian relief to Ukraine. And I would ignore it. It would come to me in prayer. I'd ignore it. Come to me in prayer. I'd ignore it because I didn't want to get involved. Ukraine's been in the news a lot lately. You've heard about corruption, and, and there's some truth to it. I didn't want to get involved in it. I, didn't want to, I felt like I had a full-time job, had plenty to do. And I, would, I was thinking, you know, if we, we take the resources... To, that people are giving for humanitarian relief. Uh, you know, we could plant more churches. And so I'm basically arguing with God. And I did nothing about it. Not proud of that, but I did nothing about it. Came back to Tulsa. We had an office in Tulsa. And I was in the office one day and the telephone rang. And this man introduces himself. And I'd never heard of him. And he said, uh, I'll tell you why I'm calling you. He said, I visited a church in Tulsa two or three weeks ago. And I saw your name in their church bulletin. I had a very close friend that pastored a large church in Tulsa called Victory Christian Center. His name's Billy Joe Doherty. And one day I happened to be up at their church. And I, I knew Billy Joe very well. And I was at the church. He came walking down the hall and he said, Hey, when's your next crusade in Ukraine? I said, September. He said, call Eula May, that was his assistant, and, and tell her I want that in the bulletin Sunday. This was a huge church. It had an eight-page bulletin. Who does an eight-page bulletin? Who reads one? I don't know, but that's what they did. And so in that eight-page bulletin was just a little strip, Ukraine crusade, blah, 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 Jim King, blah, 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 blah. And I ministered at that church, and so, uh, you know, we had relationship. This man says, I was there visiting, and I saw in the bulletin your name. And I thought, well, somebody reads the eight-page bulletin, because my name is just a little old strip in there. <clears throat> and he said, I called that pastor. He gave me a good reference and told me to call you direct. So what do you do in Ukraine? I told him. He said, the reason I call you, he said, I'm a volunteer. He said, I'm retired, actually, and I work with an organization. We provide humanitarian relief for third-world countries. And he said, I've had the nation of Ukraine on my heart for quite a while, and it just won't go away. And he said, I feel like some of our aid that we have is supposed to go to Ukraine. But the problem is we don't know anybody in Ukraine. 
He said, so here in what you do, would you have any interest in having some, some hospital supplies to use in Ukraine? And I said, well, maybe. I don't know. What is it? And he began to describe it. I said, is it expired? He said, no, it's all current. And he was talking probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stuff. He said, I've got two 40-foot containers loaded, ready to go somewhere. I feel like they're supposed to go to Ukraine. He said, do you want them? I said, well, what will it cost me? He said, nothing. We'll give them to you if you'll sign the contract with us. I said, well, you know, I'm not real bright, but I like free. So I said, uh, I didn't say that to him. I said, how much will it cost me to ship it there? He said, nothing. We have a contract with the U.S. government. And if you sign that contract, they're going to ship it to your warehouse in Kiev, Ukraine, free of charge. I like double free. How about you? And I don't mind the government paying for it at this point, so that's what I'm thinking. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but long story short, they ended up giving us three containers of supplies loaded with medical supplies and equipment and medicines. Here's what's terrible about it. That I did nothing about what got impressed upon me because at that time I had access to video footage of children in Ukraine strapped in, in, in chairs getting a tonsillectomy with no anesthetic whatsoever. Why? They didn't have any. That's what those kind of systems will do for you, by the way. They didn't have any. I've seen it. I've lived among it. Only the rich got it. Only the people that could afford to do it and go out on the black market. So I signed on to the deal, had no idea what I was going to do with it. We go back to Ukraine. We have four teams coming the fall of 1995. We're going to plant four churches. We got our routine down at Smooth. Teams are out the first day. Everything's pretty. It's a sunny day. One of our team that works for us, a Ukrainian, calls me and says, hey, I just got a call from the mayor's office. You have to go there immediately. So I said, well, come and get me. She did, and we went in there. I'm expecting them to say welcome to our city because that's all we had experienced to that point. And I walked in that room. I walked into what looked like a Gestapo meeting. All these men sitting around mad, and they told me to sit down and basically started going off on me, telling me I was a lawbreaker. What did I think I was doing bringing this stuff into their city? Blah, 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 blah. And as that went on for a little while, uh, they said, you're going to go back to that hotel, get your team, and they're going to leave here. You have broken the laws of Ukraine. You can't do religious activity in cities like you're doing. It's against the law. And that's what I was telling you. There was a window where it was wide open. It was beginning to close. That's what God showed me in that vision on that Sunday morning. They had changed the laws while we'd been home that summer, and I did not know it. And what they had changed them to was, you can't do these things unless you have a religious visa from the local authorities. And they said, you do not have a religious visa, and you can't do it. You're leaving. I'm thinking, what am I going to tell all these 20 people that came from California to join us and blah, blah, blah. As I'm sitting there, I realized this man wasn't evil, but he wasn't going to lose his job over us that this was the law now. We didn't know it because their system was so archaic they couldn't get the message out. And so as I sat there, I said, God, what do I do? And this was happening quickly. And he said, tell and just dropped in my heart the idea, tell him about the aid. The stuff's on the ship at this point coming. I have not the foggiest idea what I'm going to do with, with it. And as I sat there and the Lord dropped that in my heart, I looked at him and I said, sir, I'm not a lawbreaker. I won't break your laws here. I don't break them in America. I understand where you're coming from. But I said, I don't think you understand our organization. We're not here to harm people. We're here to help people. 
We are a two-faceted organization, and you've only seen one arm of it. What I didn't bother to tell him was we just divided right that moment and became two instead of one. We grew an arm in his presence. I said, we also have a humanitarian arm, and through it, we are able to help hospitals in the cities that we're allowed to go in. Yes, we want to help your people make good, moral, right decisions, but we also want to help people with their basic needs. So we're two-faceted. But I said, sir, we are so structured that the two arms always have to work together. In other words, one can't work without the other. So if you tell us to leave, we're going to leave. But please understand, you're never getting any hospital supplies from us. And I didn't tell him, but I made that executive decision on the fly as well. His countenance changed. He said, Mr. King, I have been misinformed somehow. He said, I had no idea that's what you people were about. Of course, we don't want you to leave. We had a big opera house rented to have our crusade in. He said, keep that building all week and have your meetings. In fact, he said, I'll come and hear you talk some night myself. And he did. We didn't get kicked out. We planted a church there and we kept planting churches. You know why? Because if God puts it in your heart, he'll put it in your hand. He'll make a way possible. Out of that was birthed an orphanage. We have, they'll show you some pictures, the House of Joy Orphanage that the government contacted us about 16 years ago and said, would you please establish an orphanage in this city called Kohovka? We have kids living in the street. They're in great need. This was all birthed out of the humanitarian arm. And so in, in 2005, we opened House of Joy Orphanage. It's still there today. As we began to develop that, let's go ahead with the other two pictures and we'll show you some of the things that we're able to do. This is just some of the kids that are there. These kids have some of the most horrible stories in the world. This boy I'm going to show you now. Arthur, he's not in this picture. He just moved in about two months ago. That little guy right there uh, was raised by a single mom. She's schizophrenic. And I know we have a mixed crowd in here. I'll be careful on how I say it, but social services caught uh, them, uh, caught him in this condition, his mother using him as a a uh, physical partner, if you know what I mean. And little guy, when we got him, uh, our women's staff could not even approach him. Just in two months, he's made remarkable changes. Uh, these are doors that have opened. It's kind of like what this church does, help to defend the orphan. It all came out of here a guy, God trying to tell me to do something I thought was going to cost me something because in my head I'm thinking doing all that humanitarian is going to cost our church plans. Folks, God don't have a shortage of resources. I said, God, and he doesn't have a shortage for you. If God puts something in your heart today, he will put it in your hand. That's what a faith promise is. I'm just going to have faith in you, God. If he doesn't provide it, it don't cost anything. Nobody's ever going to ask you for it. It's between you and God. But how many of you believe you serve a God that can respond in faith? Do you know when we built that building? Show that building again, if you would, please. That building... Uh, th that was an old Soviet kindergarten they built to train kids in communism, and it never was occupied. It sat dilapidated for like 18 years. I could show you some nasty pictures. They said, we can't give you the, the building because it belongs to the city, but you can have it. We had to renovate it, and it cost a lot of money, but people gave, and we did it. And as we renovated and got almost done, almost all the money was gone. First winter, dedicated, we put in a gigantic uh, heating system. They don't have forced air like us. It's boiler system, so you can imagine what kind of system we had to put in for something that big. It was, it's a whole, in a whole other building. We had it in, you know, and they fired it up when it started turning cool and almost no heat. We couldn't figure out what was wrong. They came to me and they said, we're sorry, but you put all that in, but we don't have a gas line in this end of the city big enough to run the thing. 
I said, well, why didn't you tell me that six months ago? But it's already done. The money's already spent. It's already in there. They said, well, we can put one in, but it'll cost between sixty dollars and $80,000. We don't have one. We don't know exactly, but it's something like that. Needless to say, I was a ticked-off preacher. And so finally, at that moment, I said, we'll find a way, I hope. I went to speak at a church in Oklahoma. Pastor said, tell me about that orphanage you're building. I just took a minute, told him, preached. Church is over. Went out to eat. It's a night service. I'm in a dark parking lot of a restaurant, and a man hollers my name. He says, I want to talk to you about that orphanage. We're in the dark. I can barely see his face. He said, tell me about that heating system. So I repeated the story. He said, all right, see you. Got in his car and left. And we got in our car and drove 100 miles home. Two weeks later, I got a card in the mail, an envelope in the mail, opened it, little handwritten note. You could barely read it. It said, I don't usually do stuff like this. In other words, don't ask again. I don't usually do stuff like this, but I can't get away from it. Hope you get all your heat and a check for $100,000. I'm here to tell somebody in this church, if God puts it in your heart, he will put it in your hand. Let me wind this up by moving to another nation just real quickly. What birthed out of all of our work in the Soviet Union, I said a while ago, 20% of Israel speaks Russian. I don't have time to tell the story, but in 1999, God dramatically spoke in a way that we knew we were supposed to do what we did in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. And he opened a door that uh, we couldn't have opened. I went to Israel the first time in December of 1999, been there many, 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 many times since. And if you've never been, uh, it's hard to picture it. I couldn't picture it. But 20% of Israel speaks Russian. Here's the providence of God. God said in the last days, this is Bible, and I've got to hurry. I'll put it in the hearts of the Jewish people that have been scattered through the diaspora through the centuries to, to return back to that land. And when they come back, this is Bible, it's in the Bible, they'll come back and they'll never leave again. People ask me all the time because we are involved with the military in Israel. And I'll just lay that out before you. They ask me, and this is not a political statement here, okay? This is not what this is about. We're about the Bible and the kingdom of God. Jesus died for Jews and Arabs alike. Do you believe that? He died for all of them. When he said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, he and everybody that lived there. So I'm not getting into politics here. But only God could cause the gospel to be so open in Russia that millions upon millions of people received the gospel, many of them Russian Jews that got saved in Russia. And then God put that in their heart to go back to the land of promise. And they've come back in there with the message of Yeshua, Shamashiach, which simply means Jesus is the Messiah. And they're there preaching the name of Jesus today. I, I couldn't plan that. God could. In fact, one of the ex-prime ministers of Israel stood before a bunch of pastors years ago and said, gentlemen, we worship the same God. It's just we just have one distinction. You believe Messiah's already been here. We believe he's yet to come. But he said, I promise you when he shows up, I'll be the first to ask you, sir, have you been here before? You see, it's in their hearts. And this is some of the work we do in Israel. I'm going to close, but just flip through those pictures. It's, it's uh, Bible schools. We have planted two churches there. You cannot proselyte in Israel. If you get caught sharing the gospel outside of a church to somebody under the age of 18, you go to jail. So a lot of people don't understand that. So it's challenging for these churches. We also do work with the military. I don't have time to go into that, but I want you to know uh, that right there happened last week, sent to me by our military contact, a Jewish rabbi, praying numbers, chapter, uh, the priestly blessing 
the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. He said, I'm going to lay my hands on one soldier. You lay your hand on the next. And they began to pray that. Look at these uh, next two pictures real quickly, and I'll end it. That's me with the Krav Maga unit. Those are the anti-terror group. They're the ones that catch the terrorists. I want to point this out. In that right there, there are Israelis, but there are Jews, and there are Arabs in that unit. So I'm not being political here, but I do believe this. God put his hand on that little speck of land. God chose the city of Jerusalem. And those he put back there are never going to go away. And then finally, here I am standing on a military base in Israel. You know what that sign says? That's the entrance to a military base. It says, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. How many believe God's able to do anything? By his might, by his power, and by his spirit. Now, I end by telling you this. As you make your faith promise today, I've just shared with you snippets of things we have experienced of how God opened doors. But please catch the spirit of this. If God puts it in your heart, he will put it in your hand. He will provide. And I realize people work very hard for every nickel they they earn. And it's between you and God. And I know this, Pastor, nobody ever going to put any pressure on anybody. We can give voluntarily. But could I ask you this morning to start somewhere? There's some of you, you say, Jim, I've never done this before. I've never done this before. Would you be willing to start in 2021, especially in the face of pandemic, to send a message to the devil? We're not going to be diminished. God is going to continue to take us over the top. Missionaries depend on this. And some of you may be saying, what, what, what can my little bit do? What can my little bit do? Would you start somewhere? I'm talking to teenagers. I'm talking to everybody. Would you just be willing to start somewhere? I'm a sports fanatic, and I'm from the state of Oklahoma, although I live in Austin. I'm from the state of Oklahoma. OU had a basketball player named Stacy King years ago. He was a great college player, got drafted by the Chicago Bulls, played with Michael Jordan. He was a role player in, 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 in the NBA. And one night, Michael Jordan, some of you remember this, you sports fans, scored 69 points at that point, uh, the second most points ever scored in an NBA game. When it was over, and and the Bulls won the game, when it was over, every reporter crowded around him. They couldn't get interviews because everybody wanted to talk to the great Michael Jordan. Stacy King was on the team. He was in the locker room. He was getting dressed to go home, sitting by himself. Nobody wanted to talk to Stacy King, except one reporter couldn't get to Jordan, so he goes over to Stacy King. He said, Stacy, I want to ask you a question. What does it feel like to play on a team with somebody so great? I mean, if you believe in the church we're on a great team first right and and the star is Jesus that's the analogy what's it feel like to play on a team with such a great guy great player like Michael Jordan such a star and you only scored this is what the reporter said you only scored two points he scored 69 Stacy King looked at him without a blink and said I know this I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and Stacy King teamed up to score 71 points. Here's what most people don't know. That game ended in overtime. And the Bulls won. In other words, if Stacy hadn't scored his two points in regulation, they would have lost by two points. And Jordan never would have had a chance to be a hero. Jesus cannot do his work without us doing this. Could I ask you, please, have faith in God. Because why? If God puts it, say it with me, in my heart. Come on, say it with me. If God puts it in my heart, 
he will put it in my hand. Father, I pray the spirit of faith be released in Jesus' name. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray they'll make the most important surrender, and that is the surrender of their heart and life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for letting us be here with you today. We love you in the Lord. God bless you. Pastor, thank you, sir.